Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Deadhead Cannabis Show. This is Jim Marty reporting from the Northeast Cannabis Conference in Boston, put on the put on by the National Cannabis Industry Association. And I've uh, got my partner, Larry Mishkin, out in Chicago. How you doing there, Larry? Jim, I'm doing just fine. We're having a beautiful day in Chicago, which always makes it nice, cold, but beautiful, nice and sunny. A beautiful day in Boston as well. Yeah, well, I, I, I love going to those conferences, especially in Boston. My son lives out there, so I'm envious of you. I hope you're having a great time. I am. I've been traveling around the state and um, talking to clients. You know, it's regulatory hell, actually. Larry, you can relate to this, but people have said there's more adult-use dispensaries open in Illinois in three months than there has been in Boston opened in three years since they got adult-use. So we still have a situation of very few retail. I believe there's only one in Boston proper for a city of millions. And uh, still a big shortage of product. I was with a client yesterday who's been at it for two years. And he hopes to get his, what they call his provisional license in March next month, which means he'll be able to start building out his cultivation. Oh, wow. And if all goes well... He hopes to have his plants in the ground by the end of 2020 with the first harvest in the first quarter of 2021. So it's a very long and slow process here, heavily regulated. Uh, the building permits take forever. Uh, the costs are double and triple what I'm used to seeing in other states like Missouri and Colorado. I was at a place yesterday where including the building itself, um, it was going to come in close to $500 a square foot. So what is that? 50,000 square feet was the facility, you know, five times five. So $25 million to build out a 55,000 square foot cultivation. And I'm doing the, the math in my head, just figuring how long is it going to take to get that return on investment back? Oh, God, forever. I mean, I, well, I shouldn't say that, but yeah, that, that, that's an incredible amount of upfront cost. And and while I feel sorry for my uh, friends in Massachusetts, uh, you know, that, that's a good thing to know. And uh, that would be good for people in Illinois to know because, of course, you know, we're, we're experiencing shortages and long lines here still, too. So it's nice to know that there's a group out there that's looking at us and thinking we're doing it right. Um, so that, that's always positive. But, uh, yeah, you know, we're coming along here. We're, we're in the middle uh, still of our next round of applications for Craft uh, Grow and um, – manufacturing and transportation those are all due by march 16th so things are starting to get a little uh a little crazy on this end as everybody uh, tries to pull it all together we do have the social equity uh component and so we have uh, a lot of people trying to figure out how to work around the social equity and when i say work around i don't necessarily mean to avoid having social equity people um but one of the rules in illinois requires the social equity applicant to own 51% and control the company. 
and it becomes a problem when you're the 49% owner and you're the one putting in 100% of the money. So we have to try and you know come up with different ways to to smooth that over and, and make it all work out while still uh, staying true to the spirit and the intent of the law, which uh, I think we're doing a pretty good job of doing. So it's all very exciting, and I'll tell you one of the things that's going on here right now, Jim, uh, that surprised me because. Um, uh, you know, this is the type of thing that typically uh, doesn't get start talking about in an adult use state for a couple of years. But in Illinois right now, there is a lot of talk about public smoking lounges. And uh, everyone's surprised the actual adult use bill allows for public smoking lounges. But it puts a very big if on there. And the if is that you have to have the consent of the local municipality and so far, it's been very difficult to locate any municipalities that are willing to give a green light to public consumption lounges. Now, uh, Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, has indicated that she thinks it would be a good idea for Chicago. Um, but we still haven't seen it happen yet. I know groups that are going out to some of the smaller communities uh, and talking to them out there, kind of, a, hey, look, you'll draw people into your community. They're going to want to go get something to eat in one of your restaurants. They'll buy gas for their drive home, uh, whatever the case may be. But, of course, it's raising a very interesting question for us, which is, do dram shop laws apply to public smoking lounges? Because the difference will be that at the public smoking lounge, the owner cannot sell marijuana. You have to bring your own to the lounge um, and, and smoke it there. So... It's not really quite the same as a bartender giving you another drink for their profit after you're too drunk. Um, but I'm willing to bet that the first time somebody leaves one of those lounges and has a car accident, uh, we will see some aggressive plaintiff's attorney trying to rope in the owner of the lounge. So insurance considerations are very big with that, too. Yes, well, that's a lot of topics that you covered there. Uh, starting back where you started... You know, Massachusetts does have a social equity pro program. Um, it does not apply to the existing medical marijuana license holders, but it does help the people who are applying for adult use get extra points both at the state and the local level. Uh, in fact, I just heard a, an absolutely hair-raising story of a young man um, who was you know, importing marijuana to the East Coast from California when he was a young man, 21 years old, and... You know, everything was going just fine. He was doing it to support his parents who were out of work at the time. And um, a few years go by, and he was he gets a license here in Massachusetts to open a medical marijuana business. And then one day, the, the feds kicked his door in. He ended up getting five years. He served three and a half. Um, but um, one of my clients is going to put him on their board of directors for their social equity component. Um, I also went to a very interesting dinner last night called the LPP, the Last Prisoner Project. I don't know if you've heard of that, Larry. I have. But the concept is, uh, number one, to get nonviolent marijuana offenders or other low-level drug offenders out of jail. And then once they're out of jail, try to get their records expunged. And um, so they had a dinner last night here in Boston. They had a full room and a lot of really neat people here. So that was a good experience so yes i'm learning about interesting we have a uh, we have a similar thing here in illinois jim where the social equity only applies to your application for an adult use license 
uh, and everybody, of course, is looking for their social equity applicants, um, you know, who can who can team up with them and do it. But you, but you touch on a funny thing because one of the ways in Illinois you can be social equity is if you were previously a victim of the war on drugs, and a victim is anyone who was arrested. You don't even have to be convicted, but if you were arrested for a misdemeanor or class four felony marijuana offense with no violence involved. A, it's subject to complete expungement under the Act, and B, that gives you your social equity bonus points. So now we have the unique situation of guys going home and telling their mom, hey, mom, you know how embarrassed you were for all those years because I had a marijuana conviction? Guess what? That's my golden ticket to getting a license. Yes, that's very true. And um, there was no shortage of uh, convicted felons at my dinner last night. Um, so, Larry, if, you, if you're looking for some people to uh, qualify for social equity, I would recommend going to the uh, lastprisonerproject.org website, and maybe they can put you in contact with some people who are uh, looking to line up with um, adult use in Illinois. Sure. No, that's a great thing. And, yeah, it, 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 it's, we, we could talk for hours about this, you know, and, and everything that's going on behind the scenes with these social equity situations. Uh, I applaud the idea. If it works, I think it's great. Uh, we'll just see what natural human tendency is in terms of how they're going to actually run these businesses down the road and what the backlash may or may not be. Uh, in Chicago, there's a lot of pressure right now to get companies uh, with ownership that include people of color. So there's a lot of people watching this round that's out there right now to see how it turns out. It's going to be a big thing. Here in, in Massachusetts, uh, there's been some very vigorous debates on the wholesale and retail prices and you know what is the forecast which really applies to our business at bridge west because we do a lot of five-year forecasting and you know, very vigorous uh, debate and differences of opinion uh, right now wholesale is three thousand five hundred to four thousand dollars a pound and then at retail with your fifty dollar ace here in massachusetts uh six thousand to sixty five hundred at retail so very high prices, and the, the big question is, you know, will prices come down and when? And uh, the future, of course, is very hard to predict. But um, some people say that the, even if the, all these license holders get issued, you know, 50 and 100,000 square foot cultivation license, it's still going to be three or four years before they get to capacity. As one uh, gentleman was saying that right now there's about – four million square feet of cultivation in Massachusetts and he figures just to meet demand and, and stop the shortages that number should double to eight million square feet of cultivation so there's plenty of room for these hundred thousand square I call them hundred thousand square footers and a hundred thousand square foot of canopy is your max here in Massachusetts so anyway that's what's been going on with me I'm having a very interesting time here in Boston and seeing a lot of old friends and seeing a lot of clients so it's been a very productive week switching over to our uh, other side of the table for a minute um i know that you and i were talking and you had indicated to me uh that you too recently received your copy of dave's picks 33 uh the, the newest one in the dave's picks uh series and uh one of the things we were talking about jim is this show that they uh, put out from Northern Illinois University in DeKalb, Illinois, which is about two hours west of Chicago, uh, towards the Iowa border. 
uh, uh, Northern Illinois has a, a great reputation as a, a school that's uh, uh, very pro-dad and um, pro-cannabis and all this other stuff. And um, uh, this is a 1977 show, and I think you would agree with me that it's probably one of the uh, one of the better dead shows that uh, that they've ever uh, cranked out. And um, it's wonderful that we can now get clean copies of it from the dead. Yeah, a standout show and a standout year for the Grateful Dead. And um, yeah, I've been listening to it out in my barn with a good-sized volume and a good, good volume on it. And uh, yeah, Jerry's just absolutely soaring, just soaring, uh, especially during the first set, Ramble on Rose, one of the probably best Ramble-ons ever. Uh, as I read the liner notes back in the tra- tape trading days, uh, this was one of the most sought-after uh, Dead shows that people had recorded back in the time around the time they were actually played. Yep. And I believe it. Um, I, I, I want to say that somewhere in my dusty moldy collection of cassette tapes of, of dead shows that I have a copy of this one, but I, I haven't gone looking yet. Um, but yeah, this, this is just such a tremendous show. The dead is completely at the top of their game. Jerry is just killing it all the way around. Uh, and you're right. That ramble on Rose is, uh, is amazing. Um, the, the first set closes with a great must have been the roses until let it grow um, but for me I think the highlight of the show uh, is in the second set uh, about uh, halfway through before the drums in space uh, they kick into an estimated profit eyes of the world that's as good as any I've ever heard those 1977 eyes that Jerry was playing are just standout yes I, I love the eyes of the world it's certainly one of my favorite dead tunes and, and that's a excellent excellent version uh, so i also have been enjoying that very much now larry i understand you have another speaking engagement this afternoon and then i have a, a special guest but larry you go first and tell us what uh, you're doing this afternoon i will thank you jim yeah um i have to hop off here in a minute because um uh, i have to head out to the western suburbs of chicago i'm going to be a uh, presenter today at the um Building Owner and Management Association of the uh, Chicago uh, area, and they've asked me to come out and talk because we have a lot of commercial property owners who are being approached by groups that want to that, that need space for their cannabis facilities. We're about to have 75 new dispensaries come online, 40 new craft grows, 40 new uh, manufacturing facilities. They're all going to need real estate, and um, it makes sense that uh, obviously people in the industry are interested in getting involved in it. But at the same time, just leery enough of, of what the status is uh, that they want to be educated. So uh, it's a good thing. We desperately need property owners who will do this. And I'm um, looking forward to going out there and having a chat with these guys today and hopefully getting all their questions answered for them so we can create some uh, additional space for our businesses. Well, very good. I can tell you in Massachusetts, the uh, most desirable places are being snapped up because, um, especially for retail your best retail locations with the proper zoning, uh, there's not that many places that qualify uh, too close to a school, etc. Here's an interesting twist. In Massachusetts, they count a karate judo school as a school that can zone you out of a shopping center. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Yes, I have a client. I won't say the name of the town, but uh, his issue is there's a judo studio within a thousand feet of where he wants to open a, a retail shop. So good work out there on the real estate because it is a real estate intensive industry. And with the setbacks and the zoning, uh, if even in a, a big state like Illinois, your 
options of where you can open up can be very limited. That's true. And in fact, in the city of Chicago, you know, it's so dense with population and with schools and churches and everything that uh, just like they did with the medical round, the, um, the, the, the Board of Aldermen in Chicago uh, modified the zoning to, to make it a 500-foot limit because there's really no place in Chicago you can be practically and not be within a thousand feet of a church or a school. Right, right. And here it's even a little more restrictive because it's not the front door which sometimes can squeeze you in <clears throat> if the front door turns out to be a thousand square feet away or if it's closed, you can just move that front door. Here in Massachusetts is property line to property line. So it makes it even more difficult to properly zone real estate. Yes, it does. Yep, we got the same problem here and you know, luckily, the city uh, has been cooperative in this regard, um, and uh, we haven't gotten too much blowback from that. So uh, the folks in the city will get to do what they do. Out in the suburbs, there's a little more room. Uh, but for us right now, the key is finding municipalities that have not opted out and that are willing to um, allow people to come in. And really, that's where these real estate guys, you know, make their money. I know if they're long-standing property owners in a municipality, a lot of times they have the pull to be able to go in and talk to the city manager or the mayor and help convince them that, you know, this isn't such a bad thing and they should let it happen in their community. So we really, we, we like them. We get them behind us so that they understand what's going on. And, you know, hopefully they can go out there and, and help us uh, locate these properties so everybody can be all set to go. All right, Larry. Well, I'll let you go and then... I will be um, continuing this podcast from the expo floor here at the New England Cannabis Conference, and I will have as my special guest, Bethany Moore of the National Cannabis Industry Association. Well, it, it sounds like a great interview, Jim. I'm a big fan of NCIA. I know Bethany. Please say hello to her for me. Um, and like all the other listeners, I'll have to uh, download this episode of the podcast to hear what she has to say. Very good. So we'll let you go, Larry. And this is <clears throat> Jim Marty. And I will be uh, taking a quick break here while I get set up to interview Bethany. Thanks, Jim. Have a great time out in Boston. All right. So, well, Bethany, um, nice to have you uh, as a guest here on the Deadhead Cannabis Show. Um, you work for the National Cannabis Industry Association. And um, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and what your organization does? Yeah, absolutely, Jim. Thanks so much for having me on your show today as well. Um, as you mentioned, I work at the National Cannabis Industry Association. I've been here for a little over six years. I started here in January of 2014, which we all know was when Colorado and Washington rolled out their adult use 21 and up cannabis laws, uh, which was so exciting uh, as an activist from the medical marijuana standpoint to see to see this happen. Uh, NCIA uh, has existed since 2010 as an organization and now represents nearly 2,000 cannabis businesses and ancillary businesses across the country. What we do mainly is advocacy at the federal level. We have a awesome government relations team in DC. They are hitting the pavement talking to members of Congress on behalf of the businesses and the cannabis industry year-round, uh, lobbying on our behalf for changes to cannabis policy reform that are desperately needed, like safe banking access and tax reform to 280E of the IRS code and, and other uh, pieces of legislation that, that 
help this industry continue to move forward and be treated fairly, just like any other industry that operates in the United States. Excellent. Excellent. That's basically the, the big picture. There's a lot more that we do, too. We've got national conferences across the country, too, uh, for people to come learn and hear from experts. And we do regional networking events across the country and have a lot of great resources on our website as well. Yes, I've been a member of your organization, I think, pretty much since the beginning uh, when I met uh, the executive director, Aaron Smith. And, yeah, you do a lot of great things. Uh, your conferences are very informative, a great place to find out what's happening, the latest and the greatest. Now, 2020 is an election year. Um, what are some of the NCIA's goals for 2020? Uh, well, we would like to get a uh, cannabis-friendly presidential candidate in, uh, in as our president. Uh, so we'll be handling that toward the, the end of the year. Really, what's in front of our plates here, the biggest thing, the Safe Banking Act, which is a standalone piece of cannabis legislation, passed through the House of Representatives last year. This is huge news. Uh, it's first time this has happened in this kind of way. So now it's in the Senate. And right now we're monitoring that process as they're hopefully not making more edits to that bill. Uh, we want to make sure the, the bill protects uh, the cannabis industry uh, in the right way. And we'd like to get it passed through the Senate and signed into law. Uh, this would absolutely expand cannabis businesses having access to safe banking. Uh, it would give banks uh, more freedom to work with the cannabis industry without uh, without fear. So this would create a an incredible new relationship between the cannabis industry, which is really cash heavy right now because of this banking problem. And there's a myriad of problems related to it being a cash heavy industry. Um, I think we all know having a lot of cash floating around can attract criminal activity like robberies. So this is a really important, not only to give cannabis businesses the ability to operate normally, um, but it's a public safety issue. So it's, gotcha. it's pretty high priority. So yes, the cash thing has been a huge barrier. And the fact that we can't do, the industry can't do credit cards or electronic payments, um, in addition to having to deal with a lot of cash. Yep. Customers have to hit up the ATM before they purchase. Well, as you were mentioning, the Safe Banking Act has passed the House, I believe, last fall. And I've been doing some work on that myself. Uh, we had a fundraiser with uh, Senator Rand Paul at your uh, Denver office of the NCAA a couple of weeks ago. And um, Senator Paul was saying that if they could get it out of committee and onto the floor of the Senate, there'd be a good chance that the bill could get um, out of the Senate and over to uh, President Trump's desk where he'd be likely to sign it. So uh, the big bottleneck seems to be in the um, Senate Finance Committee. Yep, exactly right. The The committee chairman is Senator Crapo, um, and we are uh, you know, lobbying him and his office and uh, helping him understand our issues so that we can keep that bill looking really good. Yes. Well, and one of the things that I learned at the um, New England uh, Cannabis Conference that the NCI put on is there's a lot of cannabis uh, bills, 
They'll be on the ballot this fall. Also, a lot of legislation, legislative action. Uh, states like even Alabama and Mississippi are considering uh, some form of legal mar- marijuana, mostly medical at this point. So there's a lot of things that are happening in 2020. And these issues all seem to poll 60 to 70 percent in favor. So hopefully our federal government will realize that this marijuana movement is here to stay. And uh, the two things that would fix the industry, uh, make it a normal industry, obviously the Safe Banking Act, and then also uh, being allowed to take all uh, deductions, that old um, drug dealer bill or dealer tax penalty from the 1980s, uh, still being applied today when, when you factor in hemp, virtually every state in the union has some form of legal cannabis, whether it's CBD or THC or medical or adult use. And so it really is time for the federal government to catch up with the rest of the country. Oh, yeah. Uh, what do we say? The toothpaste isn't going back into the tube at this point. So let's move forward together. Hey, Bethany, um, before we let you go, one more question. If people want to get a hold of the National Cannabis Industry Association and perhaps be a member, how do they go about doing that? Sure. Well, head to our website, thecannabisindustry.org. And if you click the green button that says join now, that'll take you to a page that gives an overview of our three levels of membership. And you can also head to the staff page where there's a staff directory and you can reach out to somebody in our membership or business development department if you want to talk to a human being and get some of those questions answered. So head to our website, start there. Very good. So, well, thank you very much, Bethany Moore. Really appreciate your time this afternoon. And, uh, This is Jim Marty saying uh, over and out for the Deadhead Cannabis Show. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Canachicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.